Welcome into episode 43 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined once again by Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Travis, how are you? How you been? Doing awesome. Um, everything seems to be heading towards everything opening back up so i'm looking forward to the next month or so we're gonna get to some sports related opening ups if that's even a word i don't think that's a word but <laughs> we'll make it work uh we're gonna get to that at some point in the show too so that's exciting to hear i i saw that i, I saw you uh went and had your first little you know kind of night out you know having a good time for the first time but you go in southern indiana i guarantee you it was not a little night out <laughs> uh, i was i was the dd I'm always the responsible one, David. Oh, good for um, you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the um, Yeah, we went to Jeffersonville, Indiana, little patio place over there, a little pub. It, got, uh, it was like pizza, a little – I think, uh, yeah, it's called The Parlor. That's where we went. It was, it was a pretty fun time last weekend, so nice to get out and about. There you go. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, David, I believe uh, where, where you are, things are already kind of hopping a little bit. Are you enjoying yourself? I'm all business. You know, while, while Travis is busy being the diving drunk, I'm um, working really hard from last week. You got me motivated. You know, you started talking about the uh, the football workouts that you were doing, you know, maybe playing, you know, on the local professional team there. Of, of course, of course. I'm, I'm beginning my, right, my semi-professional right. football career. <laughs> I, I'm doing. I'm working on a little bit of that my own. I, I've been. I'm putting in some serious workouts, hoping here by June the first, so we can get things going. That uh, I might be able to join a uh, maybe get on one of these lingerie football teams. I kind of been watching some from tape on that it's it's intriguing um you know I, I think that's something i might try to do well i think you have the body for it you know i think you, you know you're, you're well i don't want to have to wear that stuff oh you know, okay it just it looks like a good gig yeah. yeah as long as you don't have your hand in the dirt i think everybody else will be fine <laughs> and i don't want to be kicker or punter i want to i want to get down the trenches i want a, a lineman spot are you making fun of me because they the first thing they asked me to do if it was kick field goals is it was no, that a little slight me, i remember make? i said last week that it, if i got asked to be on a team like that that's about the only thing i'd want to do was would be a kicker or a punter i wouldn't get there and get killed Gosh, yeah, and well, in fact, at, since that day, since we last talked, I, I got one of those, you know, not not just a little tiny kicking tee, but I actually got a, um, you know, the, the professionals with the little point on the top that allows you to, you know, emulate an actual kicking scenario, and so I've been, you know, dabbling in that a little bit, and I'm just as bad as I remembered being kicking field goals. I'm 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 solid about. 25 to 30 yards out i am you know I, i'd probably drill th- three out of five but god if i get any anywhere outside of that man i'm i'm just struggle bus and a half so if i if i so uh, if you've got a conservative coach it's like going to you know every time you got fourth down and go on the one yard line it's going to kick a field goal i mean that's going to be your kind of coach right oh i can it, i i promise you that is that is where i would thrive if if that's where they want me uh that's that's where it's going to be i i I would do very, very well in that situation, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't see this this turning into a long term thing. I think it's gonna 
turn into a, a locally viral situation that everybody's going to make fun of me for and i'm kind of looking forward to it i haven't talked to them since since then i don't know when tryouts are or when you know all this stuff begins but when that time comes i i hope you guys can use my pain as your pleasure that sounds like a a whole lot of fun i think we all need that at this point in time on that note we have a lot going on uh you know Talking about closing out the 2020-21 roster, new recruiting rankings that Rivals just put out, some more notes on the 2021 and 2022 recruiting classes, uh, the NCAA voting on uh, allowing players to go on campus starting in June, a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about. So let's jump right in with that. Let's talk about just the upcoming roster and potential new additions. Um, as of yesterday, I talked to somebody close to the UK coaching staff, and and they made it pretty clear that they're still angling for one more addition to this roster. Um, but as of who that is and, and where they're looking, whether it be uh, on the reclass market or with any other potential guy guys in the 2020 recruiting class or as far as that goes things are kind of up in the air so let's kind of go through a couple of the options we've talked about a little bit in the past that might you know new developments might have come from since the last time we talked um first guy we got to talk about is mccurr maker obviously he kind of made headlines by just flat out saying that kentucky's still even on his list uh we talked a little bit about my conversation with Ed Smith last week and how there's a lot of optimism that there is genuine Kentucky interest, but how much there is, uh, whether that means they can actually secure a commitment from him, whether he's going to go, you know, the, the pro route, whether he's going to backtrack and go to the G league, a bunch of moving parts with that. So, uh, Travis, I want to start with you. What have you heard on McCurr maker over the last week? And, uh, has, you know, has your mind changed at all about the, the possibility of him potentially going to Kentucky? Yeah, I talked to somebody close to the Kentucky program about McCurr Maker last week, and he was telling me that he absolutely loves his game, but he knows he's not near a finished product. And we both agreed that he would probably never see a college campus long enough to see to eke out that full potential that he could reach. And they think that he would be a fantastic addition, and they're probably higher on him than I am, honestly. And um, I just, I just don't think that it would he would mesh well with his wants and needs with what Kentucky needs to fill out a roster. I think that it would be a conflict of interest to me personally. But, I mean, there seems to be a lot of um, interest be- between both parties in that addition. But as of today, I don't see it happening. I don't think – if I put money on it, I would put money on him not being um, at Kentucky next week. Next year, I mean – David, is there anything that that you've heard recently about that you know that would make you feel optimistic about McCurmaker potentially going to Kentucky? No, I think we scientifically crunched numbers on here last week, Travis and I, and uh, came down that there was a seven percent chance. So um, I'm still trying to do the math on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've he's had a whole week to, to go back and. And, and check it to make sure we, we did our division and everything else right. But uh, I, I don't um, – I haven't heard anything new at all. Um, and I don't think you're going to until up in June. And, and I, I believe when they say that they're going to wait uh, until the very last minute to make that decision, I believe them. But that's one good thing because it gives John Calipari a little bit of time to uh, – you know, kind of look at some other options. It's not like he has to do something today. You know, do they need him? Do they not? A lot of it's going to depend around Olivier Saar 
and I would certainly hope that Sar would hear something from the NCAA on whether he's going to be eligible, but I'm afraid this is something that could, could go into August and September. Uh, I think that, that probably knowing by the middle of June whether or not he's eligible is a pipe dream. But, uh, you know, I, I think the two kind of go hand in hand. If Sar's not eligible, then I think we'd all want McClure Maker. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where things stand with, with Kentucky wanting to add one more piece and kind of hoping that it's not a Frank Anselm, a guy that could come in, not necessarily saying it, it'd be a massive difference maker, you know, a, a you know, a Nate Sestina type guy, a guy that you could just kind of trust to to come in and, and give you some level of production, some level of consistent production off the bench. I think that's what they're trying to add. And I think a McCurr maker would kind of fit that role, even though I think McCurr's hoping for, you know, a, a bigger opportunity, bigger role, more minutes, more shots to, you know, kind of groom himself for the NBA. Because if there's one guy that's going to be a one and done no matter where he goes, it's 100,000% going to be McCurr maker. Um, so I, I talked to somebody close to the UK and and the exact quote that I got is I just don't see it happening. I think Travis, I think you're 100% right. I think the interest in intrigue is there in McCurr as a player. I think they do see him and I think that's part of their pitch. They're saying, dude, you know, we've worked with guys like you in the past that, you know, Carl Towns that, you know, likes to float on the perimeter a little bit that we can kind of work you a little bit down low and 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 you know, build your skills for for the post, develop you for the NBA game. They've, you know, I think they have a strong pitch for him, and you know, I think it's 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 working a little bit. I mean, that's why they're one of the top two finalists on his list. But I think when it comes down to it, I just don't think there's much optimism inside the UK program that he's going to go to college. And if he does, I think, I mean, he flat out said the other day that UCLA is his leader right now. I think just because of how close he is to home, his guardians out in, out in California, and he's been going to school there, and and that you know he's comfortable out. West, and if he does go out West, he flat out said that he's going to go to UCLA. So I think as of right now, I mean, the 7% number that whatever we put on it last week, I think that's that's exactly right on the money. I think right about 10% is what I'd put at, at Kentucky potentially landing him. I think they like him a lot. I think there is mutual interest, but in terms of actually getting him to sign on the dotted line and make it onto campus is going to be the biggest hurdle. And then what campus that's going to be, it's going to be a you know fight back and forth between UCLA and Kentucky. So I would not hold my breath on him at all. Um, we'll, we'll see how Jack, it goes. I'm looking, I'm looking at the direct quote from the Los Angeles Times, which was Sunday, I believe. Uh, and this is from Maker, uh, quote, UCLA's leading right now, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like UCLA would be a great fit for me. It's in my backyard. It's right near my house. It's about an hour. Hang on, I had a pop-up. Uh, it's about an hour's drive and staying home and staying in the West. And UCLA has produced a lot of pros, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love. Everybody's been through there, so it's a great environment, unquote. Yeah, it definitely sounds like uh, one thing Ed Smith did, he kept saying over and over again in my interview with him is that Mick Cronin has just done, done a phenomenal job to kind of come in late in his recruitment. I mean, his recruitment's kind of not even the, – the timeline on it's just been so wacky and back and forth. But 
given the recent developments, they came in and did, you know, he hyped Mick Cronin up so much that they came in, offered a scholarship, said, we have a spot on this roster for you. We want you. We need you on this team. He kept hyping him up saying, man, the pitch was, the pitch was awesome. And based on those quotes along, alone, it sounds like they're hyping up the, the Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, you know, we build pros here. You know, you can stay out close to home, warm weather, beautiful area, you know, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like they have their pitch down and, and it's something that he's definitely intrigued by, but um, you know, it, I, I, see, I think that Cronin is just feeding him a lot of BS. To be honest with you, because I mean, UCLA, UCLA after losing Dacian Nix, especially, is just treading in water right now, trying to stay afloat. And they can literally promise Maker the world. They're like, you can have twenty five shots here. You can play just on the printer. Twenty one of those twenty five shots could be threes for all we care. Just come here. And that's something that they can do that Kentucky can't do. And yeah. like I said, in my personal opinion, I don't think Maker is that good to promise that stuff to. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where can you know that's where things went wrong with DeAndre Williams, and we can kind of talk about that here in a little bit. But you know that same approach. You know the guys want their shots, they want their minutes, especially this late in the game. They want to you know have that that comfort of knowing wherever they go, they're going to be able to you know kind of put on a show and build themselves up for the NBA and. Right now, Kentucky's not in that boat where they need to offer stuff like that. Like with DeAndre Williams, you know, they came in, they were sold on the Kentucky program, b- developing for the league, kind of took a step back, look at the roster, and said, well, there's a lot of people down low. How do I fit into this equation? And Calipari said, I don't know. You tell me. This is this is on you to work, you know, work and, and earn your own spot. And I think that was kind of a turnoff, and I'm, I'm – Kind of envisioning that same that same setup, even if we get to the the back and forth between UCLA, if he does turn down the NBA route, if it does turn into a back and forth between UCLA and Kentucky, UCLA is the obvious destination for for him because of of that reason alone. UCLA is desperate; they're going to talk desperate. Mick Cronin, I mean, he's going to do whatever it takes to get him on campus. Whereas Calipari would kind of look at it and say. You know, you'd be insurance for Olivier Saar, and a you know you'd be a high potential guy that could potentially be a, a star for us down the road. But if you're not, mm, sorry, we don't necessarily need you. That's not going to be much of a of a pitch to to secure a commitment from a, a top ten, top fifteen level guy. So yeah, I I definitely think it's it'll be interesting to watch, but I do not envision that to uh, envision that coming to fruition in the slightest right now. Um, Another guy we talked about, you know, thoroughly that kind of came up recently over the last week or so about, you know, is Kentucky re, you know, initiating interest once again? Did he initiate contact with Kentucky once more? And that is 2024 star center Frank Anslem, our favorite guy on this show. Um, Travis, you know, what what have you heard, if anything, about you know Frank Anslem and and Kentucky's rumored or not so rumored, wherever the hell this came from, uh, about Kentucky's upcoming or new involvement with with the four-star center? I think we should let David uh, lead off with this one because he talked right directly to David's uh, lead, or uh, to Frank's lead man. I talked to somebody in his camp, but David got in right with the lead guy, Julius Smith, and his recruitment. So I think it'd be uh, good if David led this one off. Go for it, David. Uh, Julius told me, just like he said, that's, that's news to me if Kentucky's gotten back in, in contact with him. He said, they've not talked to me. He said, they could have always spoken with Frank, but he's with his family, and I believe that's over in Africa. So 
he doubted very seriously that that had happened. So um, I've not been able to confirm that there's been any contact. And, and if you had to side on one side or the other, it, it seems that there's not been. Yeah. The other person in his circle texted me back a couple of days later and said, really not sure. He's not, he's not here right now. So, I mean, that's not as in-depth as what David got. So I thought David should leave that one off. But yeah, it seems like there hasn't been contact made despite what the internet and Instagram rumors are telling us. Yeah. It, it, it never made any sense to start with. If it it made sense if he had accepted that role as the long term. You know, we're going to come in here, and, and I know I'm going to be a two, three, four year player. But it became very, very apparent that that's not what his goals are. He, you know, he's willing to take a back seat initially for you know a, a start, a bit, you know, to be a 10, 15 minute guy off the bench potentially, but. He, you know, when that redshirt word, you know, came coming in from the Kentucky coaching staff toward Frank, it was an instant turnoff. Like, no, I'm I'm not interested in this. This is not what I want. I want to be able to go somewhere and at least make some sort of impact. And everybody I've talked to said that he is not in that position yet. He is, you know, he is a year away from being a year away. Um, I think the, some somebody asked me, you know, comparing him to Cliff Omarui, and I I might have said this last week, but I think he is a year away from being Cliff is right now, and we've talked about him in depth about how much of a, a project he is, how he could be a 10, 15 minute guy at a place like Kentucky right away, but you know, the only thing that you can really expect from him is to come in, you know, grab some rebounds, block some shots and, and, you know, be a, a cleanup guy with, with alley-oops and, and, you know, put back dunks, stuff like that. That's the extent of Cliff's game right now. And that's what Frank will be in a year from now. So I, I just don't think it ever made sense based on what he wants and nothing has changed in this, in this last week that convinced me, convinces me that he'll ever end up at Kentucky. I think the latest talk, I, I don't, I'm not following it closely enough, but I think the latest talk was, San Diego State potentially and and Syracuse is in there and a bunch of different schools that that aren't Kentucky so um, I I suggest fans to kind of take that next step and and move on from Anslem because I think we are going to on this show um, outside of those two guys I'm I'm kind of grasping at straws trying to figure out who Kentucky would be interested in at this point if those two you know kind of immediate options aren't there kind of appears that the reclass guys aren't favoring Kentucky or they're not going to end up reclassing you know guys like uh, Musa Cisse leaning LSU right now um, Efton Reed seems like he if he does reclass it's going to be to Virginia you know where where do you see this going if it does become apparent that Kentucky does want to add one more piece and it doesn't seem like it's going to come from a, a guy that we at least know immediately Travis is there anything any insight you can bring on on any kind of um, unknown guys that we're not thinking of right now or other names that could pop up here down the road or where UK could end up looking I think that out of the 2021 players that I, their camps that I've talked to, um, and I talked to somebody close to the program the other day about Efton Reed, they said that he's a second tier 2021 option. And whenever they reached out to him, that was about 2021. And then I talked to Frank Kepnang's circle a few weeks ago. I need to text them. I'll actually do that right now, actually, uh, to see if I can get any information before the end of the show. And they said that Kentucky has not reached out to them about a. Uh, possible reclassification and originally he wasn't planning on reclassing because he was going to be like the first one in his family 
to graduate high school or whatever. I forget where he's from, but he's going to be the first one to graduate from high school. And he really, and that meant a lot to him. But now with the COVID and all that stuff, uh, it's, it's back on the table for reclassification is what uh, his guardian told me. So I think it's going to be either somebody out of left field or they're holding out hope for maker, but we both agree that, or all three of us agree that maker is not really an option in our eyes. Yeah, I mean, and that that quote came directly from somebody that would 100% know about you know UK's recruiting interests and where where they're leaning. It, I mean, there there is not confidence on Kentucky's side right now that that Maker is an option. That's not saying they're not going to con- continue to you know gauge interests and and you know put feelers out and you know let them know, let him know that there's there's a roster spot waiting for him at Kentucky if he wants it, but. Optimism is not there 100%. Man, you know, I, th- I don't know if by the time this show ends, I know May 20th was supposed to be a big day for the NCAA regarding the immediate transfer rule, and that could completely change things with, with you know, the whole dynamic of the roster. A, knowing if Olivier Saar would be immediately eligible and if, you know, they would want to pursue one of those, you know, just straight-up transfers, if that, if that would be a route they w- would want to go. So I would look closely at that. I don't know if by the time you guys are listening to this that rule is either implemented or denied or pushed off to I, I think they said uh, that the vote could come in January which I think some of the you know John Ross scenes of the world um, the big college insiders they were saying that they expected it to be pushed to January uh, and then eventually passed for the 2021-22 season so that's something to watch for if the NCAA decides to change its mind and says screw it let's go all in right now UK would obviously look that way. Um, you know, maybe there's a you know a reclass guy that pops up that we're not expecting right now, an international prospect. I don't know. As of right now, I, there there's not anybody jumping off the page at me that seems like the aha. That's where Kentucky's going right now. Uh, you know, same way Olivier Saar kind of popped up out of nowhere. Same way Jacob Toppin kind of popped up out of nowhere. Uh, Davion Mintz. I think that is that. It, you know, maybe a grad transfer pops up here in the next couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months that we're not expecting now. I think that's going to be the route that, that they go, if at all. I think, I, I do think that there's like a sense of, of comfort with where the roster stands right now. I think they are kind of comfortable with, with the Olivier Saar situation. They think that, that he's going to ultimately be, be declared eligible. So there's not that much of a push for anything. So I think they're just kind of playing the wait-and-see game like all of us if, if another intriguing option pops up. But as of right now, I don't think that is out there uh, quite yet. Um, let's move okay. Another guy that we haven't mentioned is Jonathan Kaminga, who's trimming his list to five later this week. And I've talked to people inside and outside of Kentucky's program that have really have honestly no clue what he's going to do college-wise, when he's going to make a decision, what class he's going to be in, if he's going to go pro or the G League, like if he ever touches a college campus. Nobody knows anything really concrete about him. So that's going to be – that's another one that always gets brought up, but I'm not confident in saying that that one happens either. Jack, one thing I wanted to say, um, you know, you said that they were in a really a level of comfort, and I believe that. I was going to say that they're even before you, you said those words that they're not in a desperate situation, especially if SARS eligible. Now, I think from Kentucky's side, if he's not, then it may uh, become a little less comfortable. I don't know if you would call it desperate, but I don't think from a recruit standpoint, and I'm looking at the player that Kentucky would be what they would consider, hey, 
they're in a desperate spot. I go there and I'm starting from day one. I mean, I don't see that. I mean, do, do you, would you take a reclass from 2021 to 2020 and start him over Isaiah Jackson? No. I mean, CSA might be the only guy out there that you might consider that for. Uh, or so Paolo. Paolo's the only if, other guy. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even if if he has found where he's not eligible, where he can't play, I, I still think that uh, it's not in a selling mode, a selling situation for Calipari that he can go out there and, you know, and say, hey, we've got this spot here. We don't have anybody because, uh, I mean, there are legitimate uh, options there in the post. And, and, you know, we've talked about Anselm, but, I mean, would you start Anselm over Keon Brooks, over Lance Ware, over Isaiah Jackson? Would you play him over any, any of those guys? The answer is no. No. Yeah, I, I think that, – and that's kind of where – Things are tough for for Calipari right now. I mean, the, the, his pitchers he, he has no hey come in and be an immediate star guy you know pitch unless it's a Paolo. Paolo's the only or Musa Cisse. Those are the only two immediate impact guys. Maybe McCur Maker, but you know. Travis, you and I both think, you know, all three of us think that he's kind of more hype because of his name more than actual on-court production, what what we're kind of expecting at the college level. It really does seem like the only two guys that Calipari could look at and say, dude, you can come in and play immediately. You can be a star at Kentucky right away. The only two options left are are Paolo and, and, and Musa Cisse. And I don't know if, you know, I don't think either of those two are options right now. And I, as of right now, I'm leaning more toward uh, Kentucky ending the, ending the class as it is right now, unless a new unknown name comes up as of the, with the options that we know right now. Um, I, I 100% don't think that we, we know who it is yet. Um, Let's move on to kind of the other big name, you know, big news that has kind of come out over the last couple of days, and that's the the final recruiting rankings came out. Um, specifically with rivals, was it yes? I believe it, the full list came out yesterday. Was it uh, Monday night? Mo- yeah, mo- late Monday night. The the new rivals one hundred and fifty came out. Kentucky being the only school with two top ten prospects. Uh, BJ Boston came in at number four overall, followed by Terrence Clark at seven. Isaiah Jackson at uh, number 26 to round out the five-star prospects that Kentucky assigned. And then from there, um, going down the list, Devin Askew and Lance Ware, they both actually dropped to uh, high four-stars. Devin Askew's at number 31 now. Lance Ware is now at number 34 overall. And then uh, to close out the the signing signing class, Cameron Fletcher dropped four spots to number 46 overall. Uh, David, what are your initial thoughts uh, after seeing the the latest rankings? Not necessarily just you know with Kentucky, but just overall. What were your kind of initial initial thoughts on him? Well, it was it was really really good, if not great. It wasn't a perfect storm. I think the thing that, that a lot of fans might look at and not understand and not be happy about was the drop from a five-star to a four-star, like you said, well, with uh, Askew and with Ware. And uh, Askew drops five spots to 31. Ware drops two spots to 34. Uh, and they're going to look at that and say, well, why are they not five stars? Why did they drop? And I think – a lot of times fans look at those and if a kid drops from 32 to 34, they're like, what's wrong with him? He's not going to be any good, is he? Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's people get excited about that. 
I just don't think it's one of those deals where you say, hey, there's nothing to see here. Uh, you know, I, you just have, there's movement in there. I know this. I It sounds like a great job that these national guys have of going around and, and watching high school basketball players all year long. And you're like, God, how tough could that be? And it would be fun until you had to rank these guys uh, because they hear it from the fans are the least they hear it from. They hear it from players, coaches, parents, trainers. I mean, they're blindsided. Bossy tells me some great stories. I mean, they hear it from all sides and, I wouldn't want to have to do that. Uh, but all in all, um, I think it was really good. Uh, you've got five players in the top 34. You've got six players in the top 46. The whole thing about John Calipari, when is he going to get another top five guy? Travis and I have heard that on House of Blue forever. Well, they got one, B.J. Boston, number four. So that argument's not there. Highest-ranked player since Scal in 2015. And, and then you add Terrence Clark in at number seven. And it's like you said, Jack, uh, the only team, the only school to get two top ten players. So uh, it's going to be a number one recruiting class again. So obviously, uh, to me, there it's it's nothing but a win, win, win across the board for Kentucky in the 2020 class. Travis, what do you think about uh, up top about BJ Boston's ranking, in particular at number four, Terrence Clark at seven? You know, do you think you know we've talked about them in depth in the past about you know how good they can be and based on the film we've watched and seeing them in person? But do you think they're slotted correctly? I think. There, I have no problems with these rankings whatsoever. I think that you look at players four through eight, you got B.J. Boston, Zyra Williams, Scotty Barnes, Terrence Clark, and Jalen Johnson. Hell, you can even throw Greg Brown in there at number nine and Jalen Suggs in there at ten. You could rank them, those seven players, in any order, and I wouldn't have a problem with it, really. I think they're really interchangeable, and you're splitting hairs ranking all of them. But I think that Boston at four is much deserved. He had a huge senior season. Terrence Clark had a small fall, but, I mean, like I said, you're splitting hairs. It's not really a big deal at all. And then I, I'm a big fan. I wish that they would do this in tiers. Kind of, I think that that would be a fun uh, article if they wrote that, like, tiers, breaking down where what players that they think are in elite or, like, elite, elite, and then elite, and then really good, whatever. But then you look down, like, Isaiah Jackson's 26, Devin Askew's 31, and Lance Ware's 34. Looking back up the rankings, Sharif Cooper at 20, all the way down to Hunter Dickinson at 37. I wouldn't have a problem any way that those the players in between those uh, in between those positions were ranked. I, like you could jumble those up, and I really wouldn't have a problem with it. That's what the hardest part for me if I was doing these rankings is knowing where the cutoff line would be from the four stars to the five stars. Because I mean, Mark Williams, in my opinion, is as good as our old Timberlake. Yeah. Um, who's, the, who's the first? Uh, Mark Williams is the last five star. Earl Timberlake is the first four star. Devin Askew is the second. And Lance Ware is the the uh, the fifth. So I think that, like I said, it's or like David said, it's it's got to be hard on these guys to rank all these players, and you know there's going to be backlash from a lot of parties. Yeah, I think um, we we heard from from several national guys, you know, Evan Daniels has said it, I believe Eric Bossy said it, that there's so little separation from, you know, the elite of the elite, the top 
10, you know, a, you know, a couple of those guys are interchangeable, but that's still kind of the cream of the crop. Those are the, you know, that's a deep elite you know, group of talent at the top of the list. And then from, like like you said, from that, you know, all the way down from, you know, 11, 12, 13, Dacian Knicks, all the way down to, you know, Cliff Omarui at 39, Namari Burnett 36, Lance Ware 34, Devin Askew 31. All those guys can be kind of interchangeable. And that just kind of goes, it's a testament to how deep this class is in general. Man, I remember last year at the McDonald's game and watching the Jordan game and all those guys. I mean, half those guys just flat out I don't want to say sucked, but they given their ranking for an average year, they I mean, look at Khalil Whitney. He was ranked as the number 7 overall recruit in in the nation. I mean, anybody that actually watched Khalil Whitney play knows that he is not a top 10 level talent. It's just so happened to, you know, A, he had a, you know, a, a strong stretch at, you know, AAU play that kind of exceeded the, the you know, it, it led to a lot of hype for him. But in general, some of those guys, their rankings were a little bit higher than they would. And, you know, if they were in this class, um, you know, they'd be, you know, in that 30, 40 range compared to the top 15, top 10 range that, that they were last year. So, yeah, I, I think just in general, this class is super deep. And Kentucky just so happened to have six of the top 50, which I think is, you know, if there's a reason that they have the number one recruiting class in the nation, I think it's going to be a really, really solid group. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very, very optimistic about it. Every time John Calipari has gone on a media opportunity, his coffee with Cal, all that stuff. Every time he's talked about, man, I just want this season to start. I want my players to get on campus. I want to be able to see these kids in person because he realizes how special of a group this is. So I am very much looking forward to it. Um, In fact, we did kind of get a little taste of it uh, just this last week when when A – Devin Askew and B and BJ Boston decided to work out together in LA. Um, they were actually working out under Darren Collison, former you know NBA veteran, been been in the league for 10, 15 years. They've been working out with him, and then over the last weekend, and then going into this week, Terrence Clark flew out to LA, and he's been working out with them. Uh, Travis, you, I'm sure you kind of dissected all that film, and you you know you saw it all unfold. What were your kind of initial reactions to to seeing all three of the future Wildcats working out together? I think it's, I mean, it's all highlights, of course, but they're not going to show all the misses on there, but it's something to be excited about. And from covering football to covering basketball, looking at prospects and their builds and stuff, I like the terminology so much better in basketball because getting football, you're looking at dudes' butts, their base, and all that (laughs) stuff. But the basketball, I can't, Terrence Clark has a better pro body than I expected him to um, at this stage. I think he just looks like a pro. BJ Boston, everything he does looks effortless and fluid. Devin Askew, like I said, I'm kind of going to reserve judgment on him. I, I'm not expecting too much in year one, but he is definitely a gritty guy. That, like I've said all along, that you want on your team, he's the one organizing the group chats, according to Kyle Tucker, and he's the one that's kind of getting all these guys together and is like, hey, let's go, like do some stuff, like next year. I'm talking about next year, not these workouts, but. I think that it can nothing but good can come from it, and I think that those three are going to all have by the time that they leave Kentucky, it'll all probably be separate years. If I had to say, I think that they will all have fantastic careers at UK, though. 
Yeah, I, and and David, what do you have any new takeaways after watching some of that raw footage? And, and there was one. I don't know if you saw this one in particular. The you know slams and the you know overtime. Those guys, you know the the those highlight companies. They put out a highlight reel of it. But there's also a 15 minute like raw footage uh, that I believe Ball is Life put out, where it's just 15 minutes of of you know you know some editing, but mostly just raw. You know, raw shooting, the you know raw drills that they were doing, the you know shooting, the ball handling, working off pick and roll, working on you know alley oops to each other, you know post ups. They were doing it all. Uh, David, a did you see some of that that raw footage? And B, what are your new t- takeaways, if any, uh, after seeing those three working out together in LA? I didn't watch the whole video of, of, of whatever was on. I saw it in Twitter bites. Uh, probably I'd say all together, what's between five and 10 minutes of it, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, I think it's very important even at this year that we're working out together because, um, I, I think no matter what the sport is, when you've got basically an entirely new roster and you've got guys who have never really played together and been around each other, even though they know each other from AAU, uh, experienced teams are going to have such an advantage. Um, you know, from football, no spring practice, no spring game. It gets called off early. And and teams that have a lot of returners are going to have an advantage. In, in basketball, the longer you're away from each other, the more the experienced teams have the advantage. So I think it was very important for a group of incoming freshmen to get together and start to learn each other and start to build some familiarity. Um. About those guys, you know, Travis brought up uh, Terrence Clark. I agree 100% uh, on his body. I said that when I watched him two years ago playing up as a 17, and he could just physically, with his body and athleticism, was heads and shoulders above other guys on the floor, and he was a year younger. There's not a lot of guys that have that hit factor athletically. He does. Uh, B.J. Boston. You go back and try to find legit shooting guards at his size. And it's been a long time since Kentucky. I think he'll be 6'8", um, perhaps. And and it's been a long time. you got to go back to think about when Kentucky's really had a two that stood at that size. You know, I, I'm doing a comparison right now with rivals' rankings now that they came out on the Kentucky players. And, like, for example, B.J. Boston – is ranked as the number four player in the class and the number two shooting guard. I started with BJ last night. I'm going back for the last 10 years, looking at every player ranked number four and looking at every second rate rated shooting guard in each class back in 2010. And BJ is just, there's different. There's nobody his size. Uh, really, the, the only guy the last couple of years that I could think of at the shooting guard spot has been Cam Reddish. Yeah, And, I mean, size-wise, and, of course, Jason Tatum was more of a three. I think different players in high school, but, man, he's unique. And then you look at what Terrence is bringing in. I, I'm, I'm just excited about those players, and I'm excited that they're playing together. 
Yeah, and when you factor in today, the NCAA voted to allow players to return to campus starting June 1st. Now, uh, you know, the individual conferences and schools are going to have to vote to, like the, like the SEC, they, they have a vote scheduled for later this week, I believe Friday tentatively, to uh, about the specific day that they're allowed to come back. There's some back and forth. KSR reported last week that, that Philip Fulmer was the, was the lone AD that didn't support a June 1st return. I think he was pushing for June 15th. But either way, the NCAA decided that, that they're going to take that big next step forward and, and allow these student athletes to get back on campus and return. And, and when you factor in the last week or so that they've already been building that chemistry, you know, they played together and kind of played against each other on the AAU circuit, various, various, you know, recruiting events, but to be in person together, to kind of learn each other's tendencies, you know, build these drills. If you've read some of the reports on, on Darren Collison and, and, you know, so what he's kind of implementing with, with these drills, they, He's doing specific Kentucky drills. He's watching old film of, of Kentucky and under Calipari, and, and he's, you know, having like a makeshift practice pre-Kentucky practice. It's, it's you know, some of the early reports on it are, are just absolutely fascinating. That, that they're, It's like they're getting these early practices before they're even legally allowed to be on campus starting in, in June. So it's going to be a, a beautiful transition if the if – Kentucky, if the SEC allows for you know these players to get on June first, they're gonna you know I, I talked to Brian Askew, Devin Askew's dad, and and he's saying he's hoping that all three of them are kind of close together, working out all the way up until the day they have to leave. He's like, man, I hope Terrence Clark doesn't go back to Boston. I hope he stays and, and works out with us, and and we kind of make this a, a a whole you know the next two weeks or whatever until they're allowed back on campus that they're gonna all be together working out. So the the chemistry's there. They're they're working at it. I was very very impressed with the film I think BJ Boston and, and Terrence Clark I think they're both a solid six foot seven I mean they're they're huge for for given their skill set and and what they're planning to bring to the table as as lead guard so yeah I'm kind of it makes me giddy being able to watch this early early film with all three of those guys together because I do think it it definitely means a lot for the um you know long-term goals for this season getting players back on campus in June I feel like the coaches think that, hey, we've got these players in a controlled environment. They'll probably be safer from COVID-19 on a college campus working out together. We've got, we know the procedures, and I'm sure that each program, I can imagine the Kentucky basketball program going to great pains to make sure that they're doing things right because they've got the ability to do that. To me, it's much safer than a kid floating around Boston or Los Angeles or, or wherever these kids live. I, to me, that would be almost the safest situation that they could be in over the summer. Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Torres on on KSR, he's he's talked about it on Twitter a bunch. I think he just put up a post talking about that where he's like, man, it's a, you know, this is – they, it would be a controlled environment. They'd be able to, you know, be together, sanitize all the gyms, sanitize wherever they're going, wear masks. You know, the same thing. What they're doing, what you know, the the three Wildcats are doing out in L.A. They'd be able to do that at Kentucky at the Joe Craft Center. Their their living facilities literally right across the street. So I mean, it, it makes so much sense. They're, they they would be able to make it work even for football with guys that are you know off campus and living in different situations. They you know the, they can come up with a makeshift scenario to keep guys clean, keep keep everything sanitized and, and ready to go. So, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think this is a big step. I think getting these guys on campus starting in the next couple of weeks, I mean, I, 
you know, I think it's a good sign. There was a lot of pessimism about whether or not college football season would be able to start on time, if at all. And I think this is a good first step to, you know, at least getting an on on start time, even if it means no fans, if it means that there are some contingencies that kind of change things up a little bit. But yeah, I think I think it's huge. I think it's absolutely huge for uh, just kind of the future of the sport. And just like that, the NCAA has decided to uh, officially table the one-time transfer waiver that would allow college athletes to transfer immediately um, until 2021-2022, that, that academic year. Uh, geez, well, quick thoughts. Uh, David, what do you think about the NCAA's decision to, to vote, vote against and, and it? I really don't know anybody who, who I was – really felt like that thing was going to go through right now. The NCAA just has too much on the table. I, I do believe um, had COVID-19 not hit, that this thing would have been passed. Now, when it would go into effect is another story. But um, like I said, no no surprise here. Not surprised by it one bit. Travis, what are your in- initial thoughts on, on both you know Kentucky side of things and nationally? Yeah, there's a lot on the NCAA's plate right now and the NCAA – tends to not move very quickly in the first place so i kind of i kind of expected this but yeah i think unless like there won't be anybody top level one-time transfers want to come in on kentucky's loaded roster next year anyway so for kentucky aspect i'm not really too worried about it unless they were to miss on olivier sar or if he was unable to get eligible i should say yeah, I think that's the biggest biggest takeaway of it all is Olivier Saar, and now we are 100% waiting on the NCAA to, dec- to decide his fate and his future in college basketball. I mean, the, the precedent is coaches that are fired and, and players that transfer because coaches are fired, it, it, it doesn't work that way. They don't approve waivers just because of that. So, you know, UK and, and Olivier, they're going to have to work together and, and put together a, a – you know, strong argument about timing of it, the NBA side of it, that, that Danny Manning was fired right before the NBA draft deadline and, and he only had 24 hours to make a decision. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, that definitely changes the dynamic of the season if, you know, this this would have been the the guarantee for Kentucky if, if Olivier Saar got eligible through this one-time waiver. You know, all the all the concerns would be gone. But now that, now that we're going to have to rely on the NCAA, who has been notoriously, you know, back and forth, very inconsistent on their decision-making process and all that uh it's 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 tough uk is in a very tough tough spot if if olivier sar is not eligible uk is gonna have to find some answers down low um i don't know where like we talked before i don't know where they'll find them right now but uh, it will definitely be something that we have to keep a close eye on um from from our perspective jack if i could add this last friday um with a long weekend there, I, I thought I would have some time really to do some research. So I sent some messages out to different college coaches and, and um, actually ended up on the phone with a couple. Uh, and what I wanted to do was find out if there was a place in the transfer portal or anywhere where I could find out what percentage of players in the last, let's say, two to three years had been granted waivers uh, when I left the program because the coach was fired. And I had some good conversations. And what it's really come down to is there's so many different kind of appeals and waivers that y- you really can't put anything together that holds any merit. Everything's on an individual basis. So when Olivier Sars time comes up, 
It'll be taken on an individual basis by the NCAA. I, I didn't even know that there was a thing called the runoff waiver. And the runoff waiver means just that, that the coach, uh, let's say, didn't get fired, but there was a pre the coach that the player played for previously. Uh, that coach and program ran him off and actually told the NCAA, yes, not only are we given permission uh, for him to go somewhere else, we don't want him here. Right. Uh, there was actually a player at Vanderbilt that I found out that played last year that had that happen at another school. So there are so many different kind of waivers, so many different kind of individual situations. So, you know, Olivier Sarr will have his chance. But uh, like I said, there, there's, there's no two that are alike. So really, I don't know that there's any type of precedent to go on here. Yeah, it's a big, big, big decision for Kentucky on on multiple levels, and <laughs> really, I mean, for the NCAA, it's a huge decision on their part. I, I, I personally, I'm hoping that they decide to say screw it. We're planning on you know moving this to 2021, 2022 anyway. Let's just suck it up, get it over with. If you have a you know even a slightly reasonable case, let's just go ahead and pass you and and go from there. But so much of the season relying on the NCAA and putting it in their hands. It's it's kind of a scary thing. It definitely is, but uh, I, I guess that's where we are right now, and we'll have to see what they decide to do in the coming months. Um, okay, we kind of talked a little bit beforehand about given everything we, we know about the team and, and leading up to it, the rankings, what we think, you know, watching film, seeing them in person and all that, we wanted to, you know, as we it, it kind of becomes clear what the roster is looking like and what, you know, what it, it has shaped up to become we want to kind of have some bold predictions come up with some predictions for this for this roster and what we think about the the long term and uh, immediate futures for both of them so um travis i want to start with you give me your biggest bold prediction for the for the upcoming season you know, whether it be roster whether it be how far they can go whether it be you know uh, a coaching change you know anything and whatever your bold prediction is i want uh, i want to hear it from you Old prediction for next year. Um, I'm going to go with Cameron Fletcher plays 10 to 15 minutes a game instead of the two to five minutes like people expect him to. I think he, he could play a big role next year as a rebounding defender that can hit some corner threes. Why Why the optimism compared to some of the other people that kind of see him as the, you know, one, arguably the last guy off the bench? Well, I think that everybody's kind of shooting in Dante Allen just because of his scoring ability in high school to be ahead of Fletcher on in the rotation. And I'm not like, I think, I think Fletcher's going to be awesome, but I'm always, it's hard for me to oversell a guy that's returning off of a knee injury just due to physical possibility of re-injuring it. And the mental aspect of it, a lot of people that have catastrophic knee injuries are never the same. And you saw that with Alex Poitras, his, his mental game went out the, a lot of the mental part of it went out the window whenever he came back, um, especially early on, because you're la- you're looking where you're landing instead of looking at the basket and so on. So I think that he could leapfrog Dante Allen in the rotation next year. Interesting. That, that's that, that's big. I mean, people are are pretty high on Dante Allen uh, for for this coming year. Uh, David, what is? Give me uh, one kind of you know hot take or bold prediction that you have for this upcoming season. 
This is not a hot take. It is a bold prediction only because you made me make one. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in between two here. And that is Isaiah Jackson has a much better season than what any of us think and that he would actually end up, let's say, getting third-team All-SEC as a freshman. And, of course, wow. if he can do that, you're probably looking at 12 to 13 points, seven or eight rebounds a game, and, and being a starter and just playing tremendously. Man. That's, that's one I want to throw out. But I'll go with this one. B.J. Boston has a stellar freshman year. Now, I know that's not a stretch. And he is the number one draft pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Wow. What what, what would what would B.J. have to do? <laughs> Travis went, mm. <laughs> What would B.J. No, have to do to, to oh, okay. become a, a number one pick? Why, what would he have to accomplish this season? I look at the other guys, and number one is that frame. And you look at the other guards. Number one, I don't think Mobley would get there. There's three players ranked ahead of him. I don't think Mobley would get there uh, as a center in today's league. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, not now. And I look at the other guards, and look, I'm like everybody else. I I think, obviously, Cade Cunningham was kind of just a different kind of guy and should have been a number one ranked player. But when I go and look at the size in the NBA, and I just think when you have comparable guys at guard at perimeter spots, and one of them six eight, and one of them six four, they like that six eight guy. And I think that that's kind of become a pattern. And I just think if you look at Boston's size, like I said, he's a little bit different uh, with that frame. He's unique. There's not a lot of guys out there like him. And his body and skill set compared with that body, it's tailor-made with what they look for in a superstar in the NBA. Man. Okay, stat-wise, what what would B.J. Boston have to do this year to to reach your goal of number one draft pick? I would think if the team is really balanced, and I'm talking about – Terrence Clark's really good. Uh, they get uh, post output. Uh, let's say Sar plays. Or Isaiah, like I said, has a really good season. And then you have Askew contributing. I think I think he could average 15, 16, 17 a game and maybe make a case for that. Uh, if they let, Let's say, obviously, Sar doesn't play. Well, they may need more from him, and maybe he could get to 20 points a game or higher. I'm looking at Zion here. Give me one second. When he was at Duke, uh, because they had obviously just talent all over the place, he did. He averaged – hang on here just a second. I'm sorry. I should have had this ready. He averaged uh, 22 points. Is that right? 22.6 points per game at Duke. Uh, so, you know, if if it may have to be a situation like that, but I think if the balance is, is enough, 
that maybe he wouldn't have to take over and he would have enough help on the team to where he could average 17 or 18 a game and still be able to get there. Man, yeah, I mean, that would obviously be huge for Kentucky's season and, and to have a number one draft pick at their disposal. I mean, it would obviously help for recruiting purposes. And, you know, if you have a number one recruit on your, you know, number one draft pick on your team, it, it's obvious that the team was likely successful. And, uh, you know, that, it, that'd be huge for this team. Man, I'm. I'm Let think- me ask you, which one's more likely? Isaiah Jackson, let's say getting up to where he's about third team all SEC, let's say averaging about. 12 and 8, 13 and 8, or B.J. Boston averaging, let's say, 20 and being able to, to at least be in consideration for that top spot? I'll say Jackson just because if he's going to be thrust into a key role, especially if Sar is ineligible. And then I think in terms of this year's NBA draft, I think Boston's going to be a top 5 to 10 pick. But if, as far as number one goes, I think that's either going to be Mobley, depending on team fit, Cade Cunningham, depending on best overall player, or the G League pushing the hell out of uh, Jalen Green for the number one spot to push that product. So okay, I'm going Isaiah Jackson one A and uh, and uh, BJ Boston one B. Yeah, I think that Isaiah Jackson would be a one and done with those numbers. Well, we had guys leaving Kentucky with a uh, less than four or less than five and five a game. So. Yeah, I think this isn't my bold this isn't my bold take or hot take or anything, but I do think that there is going to be an unexpected one and done on this team. Um, you know, the, I don't know who that is. I, I wanted to to you know my bold take just for just because you know Travis, I know we disagree on this. I wanted it to be Devin Askew is going to be a one and done at Kentucky, but I do think that you have something there with Isaiah Jackson potentially being a one and done because he's a guy that that he's always flirted in that twenty to twenty. 5 to 30 range in the recruiting you know in the recruiting rankings he's always been you know right on the inside of that five star barrier and that's kind of the mo- you know that's the most anybody's given him credit for it doesn't seem like uh, there was much room for growth in in any of the rankings it just seems like that's what his what his ranking is, and that's what it's always going to be. And it wouldn't shock me. I mean, you, you see some of his game films, some of his latest highlights. I mean, he had a superstar senior year at, at Waterford Mott last year. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was tremendous. Um, so uh, it would not shock me at all if he is that surprise, given the role, given the, you know, the, the possibility for you know, in, increased playing time, more shot opportunities, you know, all, all that stuff. I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, I, well, he had better numbers than E.J. Montgomery. E.J. last year was 6.1 points, 5.4 rebounds. Do you think he'll have better numbers next year? than EJ had last year? Um, yes. Yeah. I, well, I, I think it's going to be comparable. I, I, I think it's going to be comparable. I, I think he could. I think it'll be like a, an 8-6 and six situation for Isaiah Jackson if Olivier Saar is declared eligible. Uh, if not, man, I mean, it, it'll be up to him. I mean, they'll need him to be a – you know, a 13 and eight type guy. If, if UK wants to be any good next year, I mean, you know, final four run type good. I mean, Isaiah Jackson would have to be that type of third team, all SEC type guy. So it, I think it, this, this decision with, with Olivier Sars is huge for his, his future and whether, he, whether or not he's going to be uh, ready to take on that opportunity. Um, I've, if, if we're doing, if we're doing NBA draft hot takes and old predictions, one that I think, there's a possibility it could happen. I don't think it will, but there's a possibility that Keon Brooks could could have a tremendous second year leap 
uh, like a PJ Washington type leader. You know, like I said, I don't expect that, but it's a possibility. And this is such a weak draft that he goes in the lottery. Man, I mean that that's uh, that's exactly what PJ Washington did. I mean, it was a uh, you know. Keon didn't have as strong of a freshman year as, as PJ did, obviously, but you don't, you could argue his comfort on the floor um, and kind of the confidence that the coaching staff had in him late in the year, specifically that last game at Florida. I mean, you could you could definitely argue that that he kind of had that makings of a you know you, you I think you said this last week that uh, end of year freshman year. P.J. Washington type vibe and see if maybe uh, early in the year he plays like freshman P.J. Washington this next year and then by the end maybe he takes that next step up to be a, a sophomore P.J. I, 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 I mean if the role will be there for him the, the, I mean I think the, the team is building around him as kind of the focal point you know the veteran leader you know let's let's run the ball through you quite a bit let's let's have you be the leader of this of this roster I mean shoot who knows I mean the role the role is going to be allowed for him it's whether or not he's going to be able to take it. Um, I was thinking about my bold prediction. I, man, I'm going back and forth on it. I, I think I'm going to go Dante Allen being a being a a you know maybe eighth man off the bench. I, you know the number eight guy on the roster. I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to be a 40 40 uh, percent shooter from three. I, I was told last off season going into the year as a straight spot up shooter, he was the best shooter on the roster by far. I mean I know I know that's not saying much with you know outside of everybody, but. Uh, Emmanuel quickly was not the best shooting, but I had heard that he was a phenomenal shooter. Uh, was was you know building up. I, I just I'm really worried about you know kind of being mentally prepared to overcome such a serious injury. I saw him out in Vegas, and, you know when he was first cleared back to play, and he just did not look ready at all. It seemed like he definitely needed more time. So if, if he can clear those mental hurdles. I do think he's going to be like that eighth man on the roster, and he's going to come in and be a, you know, shoot. If he can be, you know, a six point per game score, just come in, knock down a couple threes, you know, score just a, you know, a couple, a couple baskets. Man, I think that's going to be huge for that roster. I think that'd be a massive for him. And, and so it's not necessarily a bold prediction, but just the fact that I think Dante Allen's going to be better, better than people are making him out to be, and, and that, that people are going to need to factor him in more than what they're currently doing. So if that makes any sense. Okay. So. Travis, Travis is going with Fletcher, and, and you, you like Dante. Let me ask you this. I, I think Dante would be more suited in the half court, a better offensive player, better shooter. Fletcher's more athletic, probably going to be more set for that full court kind of game, better mm-hmm. defensively. What kind of style do you think that Kentucky – you think they play both? They can do either or? Do you think it's something they got to work out during the year? Or do you think there's a style that they play that works itself better for one of those guys compared to the other? I think if Olivier Saar is not eligible and UK has to go small ball, I think they're running up and down that floor like it's their job. I think it is a it is a you know full court just relentless style style of play um, that would 100% cater toward toward Camp Fletcher more so than Dante Allen. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that if you go small ball, that Fletcher was able to play that stretch four more than Dante Allen could. I think that, like you said, Dante Allen, he's probably the best spot-up shooter out of the uh, three or four spots. But I think that I'm I'm still riding with Fletcher. I'm going to stick with my bold prediction. I don't think we're – 
none of us are that, you know, our takes aren't that out there. I think they're all pretty doable outs. I mean, I think, you know, BJ Boston being the number one pick is obviously a big stretch because of just how massive that achievement is. But I think out of, outside of that, everybody, you know, none of them were that bold, but still, still achievable, I, I think. So, yeah, it'll be, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, let's close this thing out by talking, at least for us, we're, we're bringing on a special guest here in just a little bit. Um, but let's close out this, this show by talking about some of the latest chatter we've heard with, with the upcoming recruits and the foundation that UK has set for 2021 and 2022. So I talked to somebody yesterday that made me feel pretty confident about um, about how how things stand and where things stand and, and the upcoming the, the two upcoming classes specifically with Jaden Hardy um, Travis I want you to touch on some of the stuff we've talked about behind the scenes that might change that up with Jaden Hardy but the foundation of next year's class being Jaden Hardy Paolo Bancaro and uh Brandon Huntley Hatfield reclassifying from 2022 to 2021. I think UK is feeling pretty confident about that trio right there. I know it's not really that much of a stretch. We've talked about it in depth in the past, but as of yesterday, that is still kind of the, uh, you know, where UK is leaning for, for the foundation of their class next season. I mean, shoot, that's three top 10 level talents. So, I mean, that'd be a massive, massive, massive thing for the Kentucky basketball program and their recruiting efforts. So feeling good about those three, Three guys, and then once again, feeling amazing about Sky Clark in 2022. I think he'll get. I think he'll get offered here in the next couple of weeks. Travis, would you agree with that? Yeah, I believe so. I think him and Jaden Bradley both get offers within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think offers are coming, and I would go as far as to say that we could see an early, very early commitment from Sky Clark. I'm not certain on on the timing of it yet, but I, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about about Sky in particular, and then Jaden Bradley, not as confident, but definitely, um, definitely think UK sees those two as the, the as a dynamic duo in that 2022 class, kind of laying the, the the guard foundation for for the for that class in in particular. Uh, Travis, you know, you you know all about these upcoming classes and you, you know, you talk to the same guys I do more people. If, if, if anything, um, what are, what are you hearing? What are you thinking? And, uh, you know, where do you think they go? Well, a uh, quick note real quick. We talked, we both said a couple weeks for these offers and that was before all the COVID-19 stuff True. Uh, broke up. We were told that they were going to get offered in June. So that might, the timing of that might be pushed back without AAU sessions. So, I mean, I expect by the end of the summer, at least, uh, I'm sure you mean the same thing, Jack, yeah. if it doesn't happen within the next couple of weeks, right? since we don't know if that messed up the timetable. But I think, yeah, Sky Clark, UK is in a fantastic position. Jaden Bradley, his camp really likes Kentucky. I think that those, they're selling those two on playing like a John Wall, Eric Bledsoe backcourt. And I think they're both receptive to that pitch and they're, they're two really good friends. Like you said, next year, I think that, the top tier targets for Kentucky are going to be Kennedy Chandler, Jaden Hardy, Brandon Huntley Hatfield when he reclasses, which we all expect him to, Paulo Bancaro, and Musa Sisse. You know, I think Musa Sisse is going to reclassify to 2021 or uh, to 2020 when it's all said and done. I say he probably goes to LSU as of today. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Patrick Baldwin is also a top target for Kentucky, but there's not very much optimism around the Kentucky program that he ends up at Kentucky. Yep. I think it's either Duke or Northwestern with that one. Uh, his dad could take the assistant job at Northwestern, and both him and Max Christie 
two top players in 2021 could wind up in Northwestern. And then some second tier guys for Kentucky are going to be guys like Frank, Frank Kepnang, who we talked about earlier, Efton Reed, uh, David, Davy Jones, who I'm really, really, really high on. He's an under the radar guy that was going to bluff, but unfortunately, no AAU events. But I think that there's going to be a couple guys that just come out of nowhere that UK is going to be on or, or some 2022 reclasses. And yeah, I think that UK is in phenomenal position next couple of classes. And a quick note on Jaden Hardy is I've heard from multiple people that the NBA G League is going to be after him hard next season. Like there's multiple people that are like, there's, he should be getting played, paid to play basketball. That's quote what I was told. So people clearly think highly of him. And if UK can keep him, out of the G League going to the college ranks. If he goes to college, I'm really confident in Kentucky's chances. And he'd probably be the best pure scorer that Kentucky or Cal Perry has possibly ever landed at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's an instant – I mean, I'm as high on B.J. Boston as a pure scorer. You know, I'm as, as high on him as anybody. Um, but I'm telling you, I saw – I saw – I was I was giving you guys live text updates when I saw him play it in out in uh, in Las Vegas in the uh, gosh Tarkanian Classic and I sent you guys a first text and it was like man uh, you know five minutes into the game uh, Jane Hardy's he's only scored like you know two points missed a couple threes I'm not all that impressed and I think I texted you guys like like 10 minutes later and he was already up to like 23 points 25 I mean he's a dude that just just he, he can score so fast so often I mean he I'm telling you he is one of the best pure scorers you know from all all three levels he's dynamic he's athletic shot mechanics are okay might might need a little bit a little bit of tweaking but he drills them I mean phenomenal phenomenal shooter I mean he's I mean he is a 35 point per game scorer at the at the high school level right now for a reason. I mean, he is dynamic as all get out, and I would not be shocked at all if he's a Malik Monk type, you know, th- that level, high you know, high octane can go out and put up 30 points at any given moment. He's that level score at the college level, and if he does go to, if he does go to college ranks and he does end up at Kentucky as expected, if he does go go to college, I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge, huge pickup for Kentucky that um, yeah, fans would definitely need to be excited for him. I'm, I'm uh, very excited to continue to follow his game and, and and hopefully these recruiting events get back going and we can go see him in action live here in the next couple months uh david is there anything that that you're hearing and you know in the in the future about uh, upcoming kentucky kids no I, I thought he was you know really thorough there travis was um it, it's really just kind of you know i hate it that we can't get out on the road this spring and summer, I know talking to you guys, you know, you, you really wanted, were anxious to get out there and just cover tournaments, watch players and talk to them. But I just, you know, last summer, spring, you're, you're just kind of really concentrating on the 2020 kids. And, you know, you've got guys like Kaminga, Ben Carroll, Holmgren, Cissé's, uh, Foster, guys like that who have played up on the 17th since they were 15 years old. I mean, uh, this would have been Kaminga's third year of playing 17 and under. And so you had, you knew about those guys, but I I remember like last year, just, you know, the first tournament we went to was Indianapolis. You end up seeing uh, Josh Christopher and 
guys like that that you really didn't know about. And, uh, you know, seeing all the guards, there were so many of them that you've not really seen before. And, and even though Kentucky wasn't talking to players like that, you're like, whoa, this kid right here is – that's somebody that, that they might get in on. And of course, they like Christopher, you know, kind of where those talks went. But – and Jalen Green was another one. I really didn't get to see him a whole lot the year before. But even though it didn't work out with those guys in Kentucky, you know, the interest was there for a long time. And you got to see up hand, like, hey, this kid's really good. And yeah. they would have liked him for this reason. I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, so, you know, that really hurts in the 2021. So just because we can't sit here right now and say, hey, I like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Kentucky's going to have some interest somewhere in these. We, we really can't do that now the way we did. Uh, one thing I would say on 2022, Brandon Miller is ranked number 14, I believe. In the class of 2022, out of Cane Ridge in the Nashville area, he went to, uh, I think he was a big blue badness. I know he visited last fall unofficially. I couldn't imagine a player out of the Nashville area being as good as what he is, not having uh, a Kentucky offer. If he lives up to the hype and, and continues to improve, I would just think that, just sheer demographics and geography that he would be a guy that they would get on really seriously. Yeah, I mean, top 15-level talent. I mean, you look at Sky Clark and, and Jaden Bradley, two, two other top 15-level talents. I mean, to, to kind of have that foundation set for – for you know, two years down the road already. I mean, I know things are early with with Miller, but man, I mean, I'm telling you, the, what is separating this UK coaching staff right now, you know, compared to some of these other, you know, even blue blue blood assistants and all that is is the fact that they are hitting the ground running on these upcoming classes. Joel Justice, Tony Barbie, Kenny Payne, they are you know you know hitting the ground running, contacting as many people as they could possibly you know reach out to, developing these relationships with these upcoming you know upcoming recruits and i mean they they are this foundation has been set for for months now, um, and it's, it's entirely because of the work ethic that those coaches have been putting in. And, and I mean, they've been they've been grinding, and, and you know, UK just got the number one recruiting class this past year. And I don't anticipate you know that streak stop stopping anytime soon. I do think that UK is going to end up with number one next year, and and the thing the way things are looking right now for the year afterwards. So, um, and one thing with Miller, um, Huntley Hatfield, power forward. The, the other players that you talk about with Sky Clark, with Bradley and those others, you're talking about shooting guards, point guards. Um, and, you know, they've really not worked. We've not heard a lot of, about small forwards. Brandon's going to end up being probably a three, about six, seven, right around that range. So, you know, that, that we've not heard a lot of names mentioned in that position. So there's also the fifth uh, aspect of it. So you're, you're saying that Kentucky's going to strike out on bigs in 2022? Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. I'm just saying they, they, um, they're, they're, you know, they've not mentioned, we've not heard many small forwards mentioned. Yeah. You know, many, many swing guys. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, he's, he, we've heard him mentioned as much as anybody in that spot. So, 
Um, I, I, you know, like I said, it's not like so far there's been a lot of competition right there. So as they start wading through it, I think he would be at the top of the list of small forwards. Gotcha. Well, um, this is uh, it's been been a lot of fun. Um, real quick, uh, Travis, where can where can fans find your work? You can find my work alongside David Sisk on the Rivals Network at Cats Illustrated. You can find me on Twitter at TravGraph underscore Rivals, and you can listen to my other podcast at uh, – you can find it on CatScan Podcast on all podcast networks. Uh, we'll have recent Kentucky football commitment Jordan Lovett on tomorrow, so that will be something cool to listen to. And David? Uh, same here at Cats Illustrated. David Sisk, also Coach uh, – David Sisk on Twitter, uh, along with Travis, um, right now working on with the 2020 rankings out by rivals. Um, We are going back, like I said, for 10 years with every signee that Kentucky has coming in, looking at that individual ranking, looking at the last 10 players who were ranked in that spot, and also their position rating, and, and going back and looking at that too. So, finding out some interesting things who were similar type players going into college and uh, also was interesting. B.J. Boston, the only number four ranked player that John Calipari assigned. So he's had them all up and down. That doesn't mean anything. It's useless information, but the only (laughs) number four ranked player he's ever had at Kentucky. I like that. Oh, it's very interesting. Doesn't mean anything, but it's, it's very interesting. Nonetheless. Um, well, useless you, trivia, as my <laughs> wife tells me. Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, you can reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. Uh, and right now, we are going to transition into an interview with none other than Jeff Goodman, a national college basketball analyst who made some recent, recent headlines with his preseason polls and putting Kentucky down all the way at number 24 in his most recent update. So we're going to talk to him about that see what you know what he thinks about Kentucky why he had them ranked so low and uh, you know a couple other interesting things you're gonna love the interview so stay tuned for that and with that we will be back next week for another jam-packed sources say podcast we will see you then we are now happy to be joined by national basketball analyst Jeff Goodman uh, Jeff how are you doing man Come on, don't lie. You're you're not happy to be joined. You 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 know you uh, you're doing it because you got nobody else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's that's not totally true. That's not totally true. Uh, obviously, I'm good though. I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. I, I appreciate you uh, uh, you letting me uh, explain why I have Kentucky ranked in the 20s in the preseason. But uh, <laughs> all, all is well uh, here in Boston. The weather has turned, and uh, hopefully, we'll have. Uh, some news of an NBA season starting up uh, here soon. How about that? Yeah, latest reports that that we could see games starting to be played in mid-July in Mickey Mouse's house. That'd be pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. I've kind of heard of the 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 latest proposal sounds like it's yeah, it's going to have a, a week of kind of individual workouts, maybe a couple weeks of training camp. Teams go down to Orlando. Teams that aren't in the playoffs, picture won't play, they're done. And they'll kind of fight it out potentially for the remaining playoff spots while the top seeds play each other in exhibition games. That's what I've heard. I think that's kind of the proposal that has the most um, behind it right now. But we'll see what they what they actually what Adam Silver comes up with. But man, I, I just 
I just want to see something other than uh, than UFC and, and NASCAR. You're not something else. You're not excited about Korean baseball, man. You're not staying oh, up till four thirty in the morning and watching Korean that baseball. Was terrible. <laughs> no, no, no. That was terrible. Um, NASCAR doesn't do much for me. I like you know UFC is good, but my wife hates it. So every time I got it on, she kind of yells at me when she sees all the. You know, the blood and my daughter, 16-year-old daughter is watching it. So, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's not a good thing. We need we need some like mainstream sport or even hockey because my daughter loves hockey now for some reason. I well, there you go. There you go. Well, you, you, you touched on it when you first jumped on here. Yeah. Um, as always, made made a little bit of headlines with your, you know, from, from the Kentucky side of things with your latest update. You had, you know, you released your initial or I guess previous preseason rankings for 2020-2021. Started with Kentucky at 23. There's a little, you know, obviously a bit of a stir back then. Kentucky fans saying this is the worst poll I've ever seen in my life. And you've, you've responded to a couple of them with your initial Twitter thoughts, but not, you know, really going into it in a, in a platform yeah. like this. And then just more recently moved them down to 24 so i just kind of you know and you I, killed me for it. you killed me from <laughs> dropping him a, let me let me first let me first go with that all right so the reason they went from 23 to 24 and you put it on like they get olivier sar and they drop and like olivier <laughs> sar is not eligible today i know He's i know not I know. eligible today he may be he may get a waiver but but so may plenty of other guys that i have in the poll right now in the top 50 but I'm not counting them eligible until they get that waiver. Okay. Again, we don't know what the NCAA is going to do with these waivers this year. People, you know, expect like they're just going to hand them out like candy. They may. Right. It's, the, it's the NCAA. Nobody has any freaking clue what they're going to do, as we've seen, you know, in, in the past. So, you know, again, when Olivier Star becomes eligible, it fills a huge, huge, huge hole for Kentucky. And, yes, they probably go for he means more to any team in the top 50 than anybody else. It's not even close because they go from having, I don't want to say nobody, but they don't really have a big man. Would you agree right now? If, if they threw out a team, who's their big? Isaiah Jackson? Guys are high on Isaiah Jackson. You know, Keon Brooks are expecting him to play small. I mean, it would be a small ball situation. Keon, Keon yeah, at the four. I mean, he's and... not a five. Like, he's, he's really a four. Right. An undersized four more than anything else. So all I'm saying is, like, if Kentucky trots out the roster they have right now, which is what I'm focused on, okay. all I can go by, yeah, I think they're the 24th best team in the country. And and not just because they only have, oh, by the way, they lost 94% of their points, 98.6% of their assists, 93% of their minutes. The, the first two are the most in the Calipari era. Yep. They bring back one guy, Keon Brooks. Like, I, I don't understand why anybody would think I'm unreasonable putting them at 24. Like, anybody. Like it just it's baffling to me that that anybody could question them being a twenty four today. Now again, if you're telling me Olivier Sar is cleared, ready to go, and you got a veteran big guy who, you know, could could fill a huge role for them and could be a guy who averages fifteen and, and eight or nine, yes, yeah, yeah. I'll put him I'll put him back up probably ten or fifteen spots and they're somewhere in that top ten ish. But right now and and the other part of it, Jack, the other part that I don't think enough people are talking about right now is freshman laden teams this year, depending on what happens with kids coming on campus. Now it looks like kids are going to be able to come on campus. Maybe even for summer session one, I, I don't know at this point, you know, if it's right. June 1st, July 1st, it's going to depend on probably each school. Right. It looks like, 
But if they're not able to come on campus until, you know, August, even July, you know, like, like let's say mid-July, okay. they lose out on a, on valuable time that they had to hit the weight room to build chemistry, to start to learn the basics of the system. And, and those are the teams. If you notice, the top three teams in the country, they're all veteran teams. I mean, Baylor, Villanova, Gonzaga, however you want to play it. And I got Iowa at four. I got Wisconsin at five. All all the veteran teams for me are at the top right now because if, if guys can't come onto campus until mid-July, August, September, those young teams are gonna have a much, much harder time. When you I don't know if you saw, you know, the ball is life slam and all the, you know, the thousand the highlight real t- you know companies that are out there right now. Terrence Clark, BJ Boston, and Devin Askew are all working out yeah. together right now in, in yeah. LA and factoring in the, the possibility of no fans in the stands. You know, the freshmen get rattled, you know, hostile road environments, yeah. all that. Yeah. To kind of take that potentially out of it um, and the, the fact that they're already building chemistry, does that do anything for you or is it still a wait and see game? Well, I mean, no fans, right? Obviously, on the road, yeah, it's going to be a whole lot better for Kentucky, but they have a huge home court advantage, too. So, like, I, I think that's kind of a wash, I guess, for the most part. Right. Um, the, the fact that those three guys are, rec- are out working out together with Darren Collison, that's obviously a plus because you've got other kids around the country. I think most kids now are working out, but it, it was funny. I did a podcast like two weeks into this, three weeks in, with Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he's like, I haven't dribbled a ball. I haven't shot a ball. You know, he, he lives in a condo or, you know, whatever it was where, where they don't have a hoop. I think they figured after they heard that, I think they figured out <laughs> the Celtics, like, let's figure somewhere to get Jason Tatum a hoop here. Yeah. Because this is ridiculous. So <laughs> listen, I'm higher on, on Devin Askew the most. I, I absolutely love him. Yeah. Like love him as a college point guard. I think he's an absolute killer just plays the right way will probably be a maybe a three you know nobody's a three-year kid not many are at Kentucky yeah, but three you know, two three-year yeah. point guard but I, I just think he's got the DNA the winning DNA I love him I'm worried about Terrence Clark I won't lie to you and I'm a Massachusetts kid I've yep. seen him play a lot I saw him at Brewster this past year he didn't guard a lick not a lick um I, I think he's gonna have to be um you programmed, I guess is the right word to some degree. Yep. Like Cal's going to have, you know, it's going to take time. Terrence Clark's got a ton of ability. It's going to take time, I think, for him to buy in. And that's all I'm saying right here is him working out, you know, playing two on two with, with, with those guys in Darren Collison or however, however it's going. That, that's not like Camp Cal. That's right. not Cal oh, trying not. to get him to, to guard. And that's where I just think, again, if these guys are all on campus June 1st, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen at Kentucky. You tell me. I don't know what what the latest is with Kentucky, uh, but but certainly it's not June first. Maybe it's July first at Kentucky. Yeah, I, I think I think the SEC's voting at some point this week, and from I think Mitch Barnhart, he was one of the other thirteen. I think Phil Fulmer is the only guy that voted against uh, the yeah. possibility of getting guys on June first. So it, I think yeah, it's it's all up in the air. But yeah, listen, I, I'm not saying this isn't going to be a good team. At all. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying this is kind of preseason rankings, and without a big guy right now and with a bunch of freshmen and with one guy returning who averaged 4.5 points a game and with a recruiting class that is number one, but it's not quite as overwhelming as they've had it in the past. Like, you're not looking at it and saying, 
oh my god, that guy. I don't know how we're gonna stop that guy. Like yeah. Terrence Clark isn't that. Yeah, I He's think not. I think BJ Boston. B, I think BJ Boston is the only guy that has I that level of yeah. of national yes. prowess. Of yep. holy crap, this is a guy that could be the next. You know, a fill star. in the blank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think BJ Boston to me is their highest upside guy. I think he could be a star. Um, he, he's he's definitely that guy that's got to be that alpha dog. Um, but again, it's just such a young young team, and I, I just don't think people realize how much they lost. Like they lost more than they've ever lost yeah. in the Cali. <laughs> more than they've ever lost. So again, I get it. They got a great class coming in uh, as usual, but. They don't have one of the top, you know, five players in the country. Last I checked, yeah, you know, like BJ Boston's in the mix there. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly, there are a lot of things where I kind of look back on and say, hey, I, I effed up. I think this is one of them today. today. Again, could it change if Olivier Sar is eligible? Absolutely. Today, this team that, that's on the court that would that Calipari would trot out today. Um, I don't think would be a Final Four contender. Now you've you've been you know you you follow the waiver process transfers you know that you know all that for for years now. What, what is your gut on Olivier Sar? Because I think you know on Kentucky side there is internal optimism. I think UK has a you know UK and Olivier they both have uh, legitimate arguments on on their side. But you know from from your side of things from a national yeah. perspective, what what is your gut telling you on that? I mean, the only thing I, I don't know the specifics of what's gone on there. All I know is, typically, almost universally, waivers aren't given for coaching changes. Now, there must be something else in addition. Like Cleveland State had a coaching change a year ago, and some of their their guys got waivers because there were things going on within that Cleveland State program. So it wasn't just the coaching change, but it was you know you could use like toxic environment, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think at Cleveland State. There was some dumb stuff. Like I, I think he was making him watch like film too long and maybe coach in practice. I don't even know right. all the specifics, <laughs> but they got it. They got it. Um, I don't know what the reasoning would be for Olivier Saar because like Danny Manning is like the nicest human being in the world. I don't know how I don't think you can use toxic environment uh with Danny Manning and Wake Forest. I think that would be hard to do because again, like everybody loves Danny Manning. He's probably too nice a guy. So I don't know. You you probably know better than me. How how are they using? What's the waiver going to be for Olivier Sar? Well, what will the reasoning be? Nationally, Olivier, I think when he first put his name in the transfer portal, he said uh, that that Danny Manning convinced him he was going pro. Danny Manning convinced him to return for a a final year at Wake Forest. He got fired 24 hours before the NBA deadline. And his argument is, dude, I had 24 hours to make the biggest decision of my life. I'm not going to, you know, I was already set on returning to school. I I had to completely change my, you know, my whole decision-making process in the span of 24 hours. I couldn't come up with that decision in the, in the time span that they gave me based on three, two, two full months since Wake's last game between Danny Manning's firing. So his, his argument is is a time and an NBA side of things, not necessarily even the the fact that his coach was was fired. I think it was he didn't get that ample opportunity to weigh his NBA options. That's what his his case is. Yeah, and I'll just go back to what I said. I don't know. I mean, again, you don't know. Nobody knows what the NCAA NCAA will do with this waiver. Uh, but I think it is a uh, season uh, determining waiver for Kentucky because right. I think with him. 
yeah, I think they're they're a Final Four team. I mean, there's a kid who put up 14 and nine in, in the ACC, albeit for a shitty team. Right. He, he still put up good numbers, and and is a veteran who comes in. And he's not like Reed Travis, like they're very different players. Mm-hmm. But I could see him coming in and filling, you know, a void like Reed Travis did. And even if he averages, shoot, if you put him in there and said today he averages 12 and seven, even if his numbers go down, um, I, I think that's Still, the 12 and 7 would be huge for a Kentucky front line that right now, um, honestly, makes uh, – think about this. We were worried about Kentucky's front line a year ago mm-hmm. with Nick Richards and E.J. Montgomery. You would take those two in a heartbeat right now. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, by, by, by far. Yeah. Uh, well, give me- so, again, I got nothing – like people think I'm like anti-Kentucky or something like that. Some of my favorite kids – like I love Aston Higgins. Yeah. Love him as a kid, like everything, the whole thing. Like you, you won't find. I mean, I did a big story on Nick Richards. Nobody's happier than, than than me for watching how Nick Richards fought through it and matured, stuck with it. He and quickly, quickly. Listen, I thought Emmanuel quickly was going to transfer before he ever played a game. When, yeah. when they when they got Hagens to reclassify and they still had Quade, I was like, this kid's not going to sit around and 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 watch Hagens. He's going to. He's going to get out of his letter and go. And instead, look at what he did. Like, I, I got nothing. I should get along with Cal fine now. I, we're not buddies. We're never going to be buddies. But I have ultimate respect for John Calipari. You know, people think I'm taking shots at him last week when I said, you know, here are the three programs that Nike helps. Oregon, Kentucky, and Duke. And uh, and people went crazy. Oh, and I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> like if, if, people, if people are naive enough, and I'm not saying they're cheating. I never said they're cheating. All I'm saying, if people are naive enough to believe that Nike doesn't help push kids, those three schools, which are the flagship Nike programs, you're out of your mind. Come on. Last thing, put a number on it. If Olivier Saar does get uh, does get that waiver, where would you tentatively put put Kentucky in, in your updated rankings from there? So I'm looking right now where I'd put them ahead of. So I'd put them probably – I would probably put them at – Somewhere in the, like, the low end would be 13. Like, I look at it now, the low end would be 13. I'd say, like, the high end, you know, somewhere 10 to 13. Okay. I think somewhere in that in that vicinity, I think, is probably fair. You know, you, for me, like, one to three is a lock. Iowa, four, they're not jumping them. Wisconsin, five. Michigan State, six. Kansas, seven. Virginia, eight. Texas Tech, nine. I feel pretty good about those nine, to okay. be honest. I don't think they're jumping those. Well, man, I I appreciate you coming on and uh, and telling your side of the story, man. It's it's so easy to kind of look at a, an initial ranking and and jump the gun yeah, on on it and all me. that. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Listen, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with people bashing me. I, you know, sometimes again, I would like to, uh, you know, be able to explain it. Like, why not? Why not explain how you came up with it? I didn't just throw a dart. You know, I. My, you know, again, you heard kind of my thought process. Does that mean it's right? Who knows? I mean, who knows? There have been years when I've had Kentucky at number one when they haven't been great. There are other years where, you know, I've had them at number one preseason where they've been great. And it's, and it's made me look good. But, you know, preseason rankings, honestly, they're so hard anyway. Yeah. I mean, they are so hard to figure. So um, I wouldn't take that much stock into it. Um, but, again, I think Olivier Sar is the uh, – the difference maker with this Kentucky team, whether he gets the waiver or not. 
Well, uh, Jeff, I will uh, be sure to reach out to you next time you make headlines and uh, hate on Kentucky, and we'll get you back on here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thanks for um, having me, Jack. Appreciate it, man. Stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing some moves soon. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, man. See you.